0: Welcome to the Debunking Economics Podcast with Professor Steve Keen, I'm Phil Dobby and the Nobel Prize was announced today for economics, actually for economic sciences because yes, economics is a science apparently. Uh, we know who the winners are, so are they a good choice? And next year, a new prize, the Nobel Prize for Economics. Yes, you headed here first. We're going to talk about that today on the debugging economics podcast. So, the uh, Nobel Prize for economics—were the choices this year? Well, you'd expect Steve Keen to be a little bit dubious, uh, which is why he wants to start this new prize. But I wonder if the, uh, the the prize winners for the Nobel Prize so recently haven't been that bad, really? I mean, last year it went to Robert Thaler, whose speciality is behavioral finance. He's a critic of the Chicago School of economics, so surely that would be a win. Uh, for those opposed to neoclassic economics like Steve. Uh, and this year, uh, the two men walking away with the, of course they're men, walking away with the million-dollar prize money uh, is William D. Nordhaus from Yale and Paul Romer from the uh, Stern School of Business, who used to be, I think, was he the director of the, the World Bank at one stage? William D. Nordhaus has worked on economic modelling and climate change. He's uh, written about... Limits to Growth, basically, being being driven by resource constraints. He didn't write the original Limits to Growth, but he's very much continued that work. And Paul Romer has examined how uh, economists can ad- achieve a healthy rate of economic growth, which is, uh, you know, obviously what everyone would like to do.
1: So th- these two won the Nobel Prize. Would they co- qualify for your Nobel Prize, Steve? No, 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 no. Neither of them would win the Nobel Prize on economics, Um no, they wouldn't win the Nobel Prize, and that's actually a good thing. So you're happy? Uh, because, so, you're,
0: so you think it's a good choice before, you know, so you think they're a good choice this year?
1: Yeah, relatively good choices. I mean, William Nordhaus, okay, uh, he did work on the, what, what he's done is take conventional economic growth theory and use that as a basis for saying what's the impact of, uh, of increasing pollution on the economy. Yeah. And, uh, and if you look at, if you actually see the graphs that were shown, they're fairly standard uh, convergence to equilibrium type graphs over time, which which is which is pushed upon the neoclassical growth model. And, in fact, the model is unstable uh, mathematically. If you look at the work done by the person who first built the model, which is Ramsey back in the, the 1920s, the equilibrium, future equilibrium is unstable. But they rule out the unstable paths because, hey, if it was unstable, we wouldn't be here, so we, we, the world can't be unstable. Nice the logic that I'm sure dinosaurs would agree with. Um <laughs> And uh, But nonetheless, that's what they do. So he imposed in ecological constraints on that model and that in itself, at least attempting to bring the economics into contact with the real world and the ecology within which it lives, that's a positive. Though I would, if I was going to give a prize for anybody for um, an ecological contribution to economics, I would give it to Donna, Donna Meadows. The Meadows and Randers, I'm not sure who's still alive out of this. I think... Uh, I think Donna Meadows is actually, I'm not sure whether Donna's still alive or I'll just actually check and see. But the Meadows family, Donna and her husband, uh, were the authors of the, um, Limits to Growth. And that was, mm. that was a, a, definitely a dramatic, uh, way innovation. back in the seventies. Yeah. Yeah. Way right back in the seventies. Uh, let's see. Uh, Donna Meadows, uh, she died in 2001, but her hu- husband, I think is still alive. So I would have given it to him. Mm. Uh Dennis Meadows, let's see. And Jorgen Randers is still alive as well. I think so I've still I,
0: got a very well-thumbed uh, paperback version of it. Uh since, When did you
1: read your copy?
0: Oh, uh, well, University Day. So in the 80s, I would have. Uh, you oh. know,
1: I, I, maybe you and I have a, a similar use. Mine was, I, I bought the very first uh, year, I think it was 72 or 73, it was available. And um that is a far more sophisticated piece of work than what, uh has been done by Nordhaus. Uh, people, the economists have attacked it, and that shows you how good it is. Mm. Uh, the, you know, so Nordhaus
0: has done a lot of uh, sort of like very localized modeling, though, hasn't he? I mean, I would have thought you'd like this as well. So he's he's got this uh, uh, this sort of global scale project where he's trying to map gdp wealth and relate it to the geography of the the planet so uh in cells one degree latitudes and one degree longitude cells are the mm. Gecon econ project he's called it so he's tried to sort of like do some mathematical modeling to try and show that uh you know gdp is related to the climate and resources uh which is a, a geographical question so geography and economics are, in, are intertwined yeah,
1: uh, he, he's a good choice and i'm not i'm not criticizing him as a choice i mean Uh, I think uh, the people I'm focusing on the criticism, people like Milton Friedman, William Sharp, uh, Paul Samuelson and so on, who uh, I I would uh, make winners of what I call the Nobel Prize, which we can discuss in a while, but certainly uh, Nordhaus has done some positive stuff and generalised. He's still building on the conventional neoclassical framework, as is Paul Romer. Mm. Uh, which is using, and poor Roma is using growth, it, it, again, classical, ne- standard neoclassical growth theory to try to talk about growth being an endogenous process rather than something assumed that comes in from outside the economy, which is the way economists have normally handled economic growth, which is totally useless. And Roma, of course, came up with a brilliant paper in 2016, uh, called The Trouble with Macroeconomics, where he had castigated the current state of neoclassical modeling. And that was, in fact, the first question he was asked by a Swedish journalist about that particular question. He t- gave a fairly soft answer to it. He said, well, criticism is part of the development of science. What he didn't say, which is what he said in that paper, is that it's laughable. Uh, what's called neoclassical economics, you might as well have a gremlin setting the interest rate, a troll changing the labour market and and ether uh, existing He was incredibly castigating in that paper, and I now hope the paper gets more currency because that's a superb criticism of the state of neoclassical economics, and for that reason he could not possibly be a winner of the Nobel Prize in Economics. So
0: these are your people, Steve Keen, who are getting some credence and some recognition in the economics profession.
1: Um, yeah, well, just uh, what, to an extent. What, 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 what's, what's the downside? The downside. downside? <laughs> well, the, the downside of the Nobel Prize in general. First of all, I mean, most people these days seem to know there is no Nobel Prize in economics. The actual title of the prize. Yeah, like economic
0: perhaps, sciences. Yeah, well, that's a bit of a grand title, isn't it? That that that, that, well, that, that makes because it, it, economics. Obviously, we know it's 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 all about predicting. Uh, outcomes. It's a, it's as reliable as gravity, isn't it? Never lets us down. It's it's as scientific as that.
1: Yeah, the, the scientific is dropping a weight on your feet, your feet at the gym. Um, <laughs> the 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 actual title is a If I can pronounce this, a, a speaking Swedish is not easy. I I, I love the fact that Janus Veravarka said that when he spoke at the. Um, um, meetings of finance ministers in the European Union, he might as well be, I mean, we're talking economics, he might as well I mean, be singing the Swedish National Anthem. And I think the Swedish National Anthem was extremely hard to sing. So the actual title of the prize is the Svegs Riksbank Prize in Economic Sciences in Memory of Alfred Nobel, uh, which, of course, <laughs> that's the central bank of Sweden and it instituted the prize in the fir- in the first instance in 1969 there was no nobel prize for economics in alfred nobel's the there was i think it was chemistry physics literature and 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 the arts and and that's those are the genuine nobel prizes this is a a uh, a slap up job actually paid for by the swedish central bank and the funds they've organised, not paid by Nobel's bequest, to make economics appear scientific mm. when it's nothing of the sort. And I've seen quite a few people arguing over time, and I think I've come down to agreeing with them. It gives a legitimacy to economics it doesn't deserve uh, because most of what part, what happens in genuine sciences uh, is well paraphrased by, I've forgotten the origin, originator of the saying, but saying the great tragedy of science is a beautiful hypothesis killed by an ugly fact well, the economists never let ugly fact get in the way of beautiful hypotheses. Uh, they've come out with this absolute garbage assumptions. Uh, and, and they talk about them in simplifying assumptions. I call them bonking mad assumptions, barking mad assumptions. I've got to be, wish I prefer bonking or barking. Um, absolutely insane, stupid, stupid ideas, nonsense of the first order that was then taken seriously by the profession. So would you hey. would you include last year's winner in that? So yep.
0: Robert Thaler, who did uh, the the man behind Nudge Theory. Now I've uh, been trying to read up on this, and all I can see on Nudge Theory is it's uh, a statement of the bleeding obvious. And the example I found was that, uh, for example, it's all to do with human behaviour. And I, for example, might put off uh, getting a, making a decision about about choosing a pension scheme for my for my retirement. So the government mandates sort of an automatic enrollment into a scheme and that forces me to act to do something uh, and that uh, and therefore everyone gets enrolled on a into a pension scheme that's that's nudge theory we get nudged into into doing something uh, that just is that a theory or is that just a statement of the bleeding obvious
1: Oh, that's often what happens. you, 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 you often get these ponderous uh, mathematical expressions that actually state the bla- either the bloody obvious or the bloody absurd. Mm. Uh, and you've got your choice. You know, which do you want? Do you want something obvious made complicated or something absurd made? So loose. you come
0: across nudge theory? Is that just about it? Have I explained it? I yeah, at, pretty the, much. You pretty much got so it. So 30
1: seconds to, to describe the man's work. Yeah, yeah. Like the uh, Nobel Prize for the bleeding obvious. <laughs> um, but the, the, the ones, ones I'm actually worried about are the Nobel Prizes for total car, total absolute nonsense. Mm then become part of how economics develops. So and who, who have been the biggest
0: culprits for that, then?
1: Oh, out, without a doubt, the absolute global winner of the Nobel Prize. You know, we, better, we better explain the word Nobel first of all. Yeah. You know, double D-L-E. Uh, because... It's nothing no, to no do no with girl. your knees. Huh? Nothing to do with your knees. No, no, not no. that being would knobbly <laughs> knees. Uh, if you get the, let see, the novel, the novel is to, it, it's the informal British slang and the definition, if you're looking at the, uh, the dictionary coming up, if you can search on Google, try to influence or thwart by underhand or unfair methods. Right. Synonyms, bribe, corrupt, buy off, pay off, induce, or entice, grease someone's palm, uh, or the second is obtained dishonestly or steal, um, Right, so you're not saying, so so
0: the Nobel Prize, you're not giving the Nobel Prize to someone who's just very bad. You're giving the Nobel Prize to somebody who is, uh, Trying to subvert or use dishonest means to to claim this prize
1: exactly mm. that's 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 what the Nobel Prize in economics no, is that's all about. Wor-
0: that's worse than just being a bad bad at oh, your yeah. job. Oh you, right. yeah,
1: you've, you've been a successful bad asshole. Right. <laughs> 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 okay. The French there. Um, so, like, my favorite. So, what the idea occurred to me because you hear so much about the Nobel Prize, and I know that it's first of all, it's not a Nobel Prize, and secondly, most of the people who've won the Nobel Prize have. Come up with absolutely crazy ideas that the profession then takes seriously. And Mm. then it ends up causing misery for humanity with these ideas ever turn up in economic policy. So is that, uh, is
0: that because their ideas are not tested? They're not peer reviewed. Is that, is that? Oh, no, they're peer
1: reviewed, but their peers are equally mad. I mean, their (laughs) peers let this crap through. I mean, Mm. economics, people take economics as a science. And in, in a maybe one or two centuries it might become one, but this, it, it has been going backwards for not just for 30 years, as Paul Romer said in his paper, The Trouble with Macroeconomics. It's been going backwards for about 250 years. I actually date the beginning of the um, economics going off the rails to Adam Smith, uh, which I'll be explaining when I finally write my own magnum opus on economics. But I see him as leading us astray. We actually started well with the work of the physiocrats, saying that all wealth comes from the land. Which fundamentally is mm. saying that all wealth comes from the, from the energy we find for free in the universe. Yeah. And that's true. And Smith then took us sideways, but the neoclassicals, uh, have taken this to an art, to an art form level in terms of distracting you from the important stuff and coming up with nonsense whenever their theories fail to work. So. It just occurred to me that my poor, my poor girlfriend got the Friday for life here, uh, when it, because I was thinking of the Nobel Prize and I'm thinking noble, what of it? And how can I send this up? And I thought noble, And I I hadn't used the word for a long time and I looked it up in the dictionary because it had perfect meaning. So I just exclaimed, yes. He jumped out of his skin. I was so loud with the exclamation. So it was your eureka moment. Just it's to- my eureka, one of my eureka moments. <laughs> this isn't sending up professions, so we need to have a Nobel Prize right. in economics. Before we get on to it, yeah, so and, yeah. Uh, let's go
0: back to that in a second. But just you talked about, you know, before Adam Smith, economics was really related to the land and energy. I mean, if, so, I mean, Nordhaus is, with that model, that, uh, that G-Con project, I mean, he, he's almost going back to that then, isn't he? Because he's saying, well, okay, yeah, wealth is related to the land, which is to do with geography. That's got to be energy it's, related It's an as well.
1: improvement, but he, he's, he's, what he's trying to do is to reach that, uh, that position by extending the existing theory mm. where the existing theory assumes the ecology is a subset of the economy. Now that's really good. You can lose the ecology and still have a functioning economy. <laughs> oh, okay, so he's trying okay. to. Okay, I'm sorry. The other way it works. You he's he's trying to retrofit the, the, retrofit the theory rather than the Yeah, you, you have, you have to, up. to look. The ecology overall, it rules everything. You start from the ecology because you wouldn't have an economy without free energy. And that's what economists don't understand still. I have done the very first work that actually brings that together properly, which still surprises the hell out of me that I did because some very bright people have been trying to do otherwise, do the same thing, and they didn't see an obvious uh, element that I saw, which is you have to regard labour and capital and energy, not as separate means of production, but labor and capital as ways of harnessing energy to do useful work. And that just changes the whole mathematical structure of how you think about production. And it gives you a direct link between the economy and the ecology as well, because... Well, labor is driven by energy, of course. I, yeah, I, labor, yeah. Said, the little insight was labor without energy is a corpse, yeah. and capital without energy is a sculpture. And so you, they, you, they both need energy to be activated and what they do is they channel energy, which would otherwise be destructive if you added it independently. Uh, if you imagine adding a, a burst of energy, let's say uh, 10, 10, 10 megatons of energy uh, independently of the machinery and the and the workers inside a factory, you have Hiroshima. You mm. don't have a you don't have a, a Toyota. You have Hiroshima. Oh, I could um, take
0: it. I'd I'd be working so much if you gave that to me. I I could take it. I would work so much more efficiently. Uh, the yeah. uh, I, I I sense we're going a bit all over the place here. So let's we get back. Rather, let's, yeah, let's, it's it's right. Just, we yeah. we do, as we often do. Let's go. But let's get back to noble then, because noble. Yeah. The word noble, as you're saying, noble means that you are. You know, you're actually trying to cheat,
1: almost like cheat the system. You have, and economics has cheated science for the last, well, it, I could take it back to Smith, but I'd say that the conscious cheating of economics began with Milton Friedman, uh, in particular, uh, in 1966 in a paper called The Methodology of Positive Economics. And this is the, this, this has to be the winner of the Nobel Prize for Economics, uh, for the history of humanity. Uh, but it will also be. What, 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 when I, I want to start announcing the Nobel Prize in Economics at the same day, on the same day, and possibly in the same town as the Nobel Prize, starting from next year, uh, which will be the. It'll be the fiftieth anniversary of the Nobel Prize in Economics, the first awarded in nineteen sixty nine.
0: such a shitster.
1: Thank you? you, mate. Oh, <laughs> coming from you, that's high praise. Uh, but yes, we're going to have the Nobel Prize in Economics, right? And. It's uh, it'll start in nine two thousand and nineteen. Right, who would you have given uh, it to this year? Uh, um, is, uh, by the way,
0: I I I do fear uh, <laughs> some sort of legal action going on because you're not actually just saying that they they're incompetent. The word novel is saying that somebody is
1: trying to cheat the system, isn't it? Well, you wait you wait till I read out to you some of the some of the texts that I think gives people the. the, the Deserves to get this reward, okay? So, look, I'll, I'll choose. I have on my screen at the moment. I have my four, four of my favourite nominations for the Nobel Prize in Economics. Only one of them did not win the Nobel Prize in Economics. So let's start with him. Mm. Uh, he was actually he wrote this paper in the year of my birth, nineteen fifty-three. A guy called uh, Gorman, I think it's William Gorman, uh, in a paper called "Community Preference Fields." And what he was considering is that neoclassical theory gives you this nice, simple way or mathematically simple way of representing people's tastes in the same way that the weather forecasters represent pressure on a map. So they they use isobars to show join points of equal pressure. Economists use what they call indifference curves to join combinations of goods that gives a consumer equal satisfaction and they then derive their individual demand curve from that front. Now what they jump over in all the textbooks is okay that derives it for a single individual. Can you and that gives you a downward sloping market demand curve, which is an essential part of neoclassical economic theory that you know demand falls as price Rises, um, and that that idea. That, that, so they can they can prove it, assuming people behave the way that they do with these indifference curves. They can prove that an you know, individual's what they call Hicksian compensated demand curve necessarily slopes downwards. So demand falls as price rises. Demand rises as price falls, uh, and that's called the law of demand. Now. Textbooks think it's just as simple as to go from individual to a market demand curve. You simply add up everybody's individual mm. demand curves. That doesn't apply uh, in general because one part of deriving that individual demand curve is the belief that you can change the relative prices without changing income. Now, if you take yourself in isolation and I consider changing the price of chocolate croissants and see how many chocolate croissants you buy versus other subjects, uh, I can easily find it uh, – they're like I can imagine I can change the price of chocolate croissants without changing Phil Dobby's income. Mm. That's a reasonable assumption. Mm. But if I then consider the entire economy and I want to work out the demand for cho- croissants and automobiles and, and telephones and so on, then when I change relative prices, I change the distribution of income. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Starting okay. with the uh, the
0: chocolate croissant manufacturers. Yeah, you, uh, you can
1: suddenly buy. If the price falls, they can't buy as much. Yeah. Um. So the the there are there are income there are income effects of changing relative prices. When you try to sum individual demands, you can't hold that income constant anymore. Now, the first person to work out what this meant was William Gorman. And he wrote a paper c- called Community Preference Fields in 1953, which was forgotten by the profession. It was rediscovered later and called the Sonnenschein-Manchol-debreu theorem after this, the second round of people that discovered this condition. But he, what he wanted to say was, can I derive instead set of indifference curves for a whole society? And he said, yes, I can. I can derive, just like we've got a little map for um, individuals where we derive the individual demand curve, we can derive a community, what he calls a community indifference locus, um, which is a set of curves describing the utility of the entire economy. Simple. And here he said, there's just one condition. He said, we will show that there is just one community indifference locus through each point if and only if the angle curves for different individuals at the same prices are parallel straight lines. Gobbledygook statement. He then clarifies it a few sentences later. Quote, unquote, this one should be obvious. The necessary and sufficient condition quoted above is intuitively reasonable. It says, in effect, that an extra unit of purchasing power should be spent in the same way no matter to whom it is given. Just how many chocolate croissants can a man take? no That's- it's not that <laughs> it's it's Bill Gates is walking up to buy his chocolate cross he sees an unemployed he sees a, a a homeless person gives the homeless person ten bucks mm. homeless person goes and buys let's you know, let's you know and buys some crack cocaine because how else can you cope with being homeless uh on the other hand if The homeless person sees Bill Gates and wants to say how famous he is. He may make a sense. He says, "I gave money to Bill Gates. He's going to give Bill Gates ten dollars, and Bill Gates will then go and spend that ten dollars on crack cocaine." Or, or the other possibility is that uh, Bill Gates gives ten dollars to the. A homeless person, and the homeless person then goes and buys a tiny fragment of Da Vinci's coda because that's the main thing uh, in terms of discretionary spending. Apparently, the Bill Gates does. He's trying to collect all of uh, all of um, right. Leonardo da Vinci. So, you, so, your
0: point is, money means different things to different people based on money how much money they have already differently.
1: got. Differently, it is mm. not intuitively. Yeah. It is. It is. Pardon the French. I'm going to go total over. This is the total French word here. This is fucking bullshit of the mm. first order. It is not intuitively reasonable. It is total crap. Mm. What they're saying is, we're trying to avoid a. Con- Consequence of our own theory we don't like because what they wanted to think was they could go from individual demand curves to market demand curves very smoothly. They found, in fact, they can't. In fact, if they say people have different tastes and different commodities have different characteristics as well, then you can't derive a collective uh, uh, instead of indifference curves for a whole society, which they regularly use in their work. that includes Nordhaus, uh, or... They, they have to say that, uh, it doesn't, income distribution doesn't change, changing income distribution doesn't change demand. Now, what that means is, first of all, Bill Gates has got the same taste as a homeless person. What it also means is that uh, you can use uh, part of Da Vinci's Coda the same way you can use crack cocaine, the same way you can use spam. They're all interchangeable, and people's purchases of those will remain at the same time. So this is – I mean, this is the problem of, you know – Total, total bullshit. But this is the problem of so much economics, isn't it, that people – economic theory lets people get away with This stuff gets published in a journal rather than somebody saying – You've got to be kidding. There's no way that's reasonable. Go back and redo your mathematics. They publish the damn stuff, and then it gets simplified and put into the textbooks, and the kids think there's science.
0: Yeah, but, I mean, so the simplicity is the thing, isn't it? Because that no, is well, the thing. The, e- economists are there try, striving to find a simplistic way of describing what is actually a complex scenario.
1: And that they should be realizing occasionally they reach log jams and they've got to change direction. But what they do instead is come up with a total bullshit assumption to get them over it. So that's William Gorman. He should have got the Nobel right. Prize for that. That's that's as absurd as ninety okay. percent of the, the Nobel Prize winners.
0: Who who else is a contender for your first? Well, there's
1: there's, there's absolutely no contest for the first role. Friedman wins absolutely because he legitimised getting away with bullshit assumptions like that. And this is a paper called "The Methodology of Positive Economics," which he wrote in 1966. He got the Nobel Prize in 19 So he's one of these double winners. There'll be quite a few of them when we finally publish uh, the Nobel Prize to Economics book. So in the methodology of positive economics, he gave the license to economists to, to come up with absolute nonsense and justify it. So here it is. Truly important and significant hypotheses will be found to have inverted commas assumptions close inverted commas, that are wildly inaccurate descriptions of reality, and here's the punchline, and in general, the more significant the theory, the more unrealistic the assumptions in this sense. The reason is simple. A hypothesis is important if it explains, inverted commas, much by, by little, that is if it abstracts from the common and crucial elements from the mass of complex and detailed circumstances surrounding the phenomena and uh, to explain explained, it permits valid prediction on the basis of them alone. To be important, therefore, a hypothesis must be descriptively false in its assumptions. Now, there's a grain of truth there, and this grain of truth is what they drag out the defenders' crap every time they get attacked over it. And they say, look, if you had a map of the London Tube, this is a popular example they use, it wouldn't work. It was completely realistic. You've got to abstract from so much reality to use the London Tube map. But the London Tube map connects the right suburbs on the right lines. Uh, it leaves out. It, it, it makes simplifying assumptions. They are justifying what I'm calling barking mad assumptions using exactly the same thing. And a, like a barking mad assumption would be to assume that you can hop into Piccadilly and come out at um, what's what's my favourite um, uh, cock Cockfosters uh, in one tra- in one train journey. No, you can't. <laughs> if you try to use a map that do that you'd be going crazy. Mm. And that's what economics has done. It's produced a crazy map. And justified on the basis that's a simplifying map. So Friedman, by giving that license and everybody who gets challenged about an absurd assumption defends themselves on the basis of Friedman's methodology statement. He is outright, without fail, the winner of the universal Nobel Prize in economics. Right. So he goes into the hall of fame. You've got one. You've got one more then. Oh, two more, but I'll, I'll, Hmm. I'll probably choose. I've got, it's a, it's a difficult choice here. Sharp or Samuelson. Hmm. I'll read Sharp because Samuelson's on the same point as 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 Sharp. But actually, I'll, I'll give Samuelson an honourable mention here. He's definitely going to win a Nobel Prize. But um, here's him on the same point as Gorman in a paper called Social Indifference Curves written in 1956. And he says, if within the family there can be assumed to take place an optimal reallocation of income so as to keep each member's dollar expenditure of equal ethical work worth... Then there can be derived for the whole family a set of well-behaved indifference contours relating the total of what it consumes. The family can be said to act as, as if it maximises such a group preference function. Here's the punchline. And this is American. Okay. The same argument will apply to all of society if optimal reallocations of income can be assumed to keep the ethical worth of each person's marginal dollar equal. By means of Hicks's composite commodity theorem and by other considerations, a rigorous proof is given that the newly defined social or community indifference contours have the regularity properties of ordinary individual preference contours. In other words, America operates like one big happy family and people before income is spent Reallocated around so everybody thinks that everybody's getting, everybody else is getting what they should be getting, and and on goes American society, and everybody's happy and lives ever uh, happily ever after. So I'm not
0: quite getting that, but it's sort of saying that everyone understands where they are in society and they're getting. Gr- no,
1: no, no, rel- it Rupert, r- no. It says Rupert. Mur- no, it says Rupert Murdoch says I've got too much. Dobby hasn't got enough. Yeah, that's what I mean. Uh,
0: every, every, yeah. All every, oh, right. So, okay.
1: So Rupert Murdoch sends you a check and yeah. and uh, you know he sends a check to lots of other worthy individuals that don't get paid as much as him, and then after that sort. Done we all spend it, Everybody's happy Right well, I mean, That's America.
0: Well, he—I mean, Rupert Murdoch has sent you—you you a check, and he sent me, me a check. We've we'll both worked for him, but I don't think we'll get you. Do, stuff, right? I not think I, I don't think we were getting paid what we were worth in our, in either of those
1: cases. Actually, to be exactly. honest with you, um, exactly. So, so there's there's but that theory it, not it, working. It, 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 this, is, this, this, this presumes to f- defend capitalism. This presumes there's a benevolent dictator income, incomes. Everybody's happy with the distribution of income. Nobody complains. That is barking mad. Mm. That is not a simple, that is a barking mad assumption. Actually it deserves a special mention because those, both those ones predate, um, Friedman's nonsense. And in fact, Friedman. So but that, that's,
0: that's his answer to the wealth divide then, is it? That the, the very wealthy will realize that they are in an advantageous position and, uh, guilt will get the better
1: of them. Is that, is that the, the- effectively? They, they, they generously mm. reallocate income and everybody's happy. Nobody, nobody at all, nobody complains anywhere at all about the distribution of income. How's that happening though? In what I mean, not, they're not advocating, not advocating sending checks, surely. You've got to uh, be, it, it, it happens it just, on Pluto. Right. or On Uranus. It probably happens on Uranus. I mean, it is a total fantasy vision of a world. It's nonsense. And that, mm. that's what I call one of these barking mad assumptions that should have been called out and said, Paul, first of all, you're assuming every Hamlet family is a happy family. You know, so what's, what's, what, what's the classic? Is it, is it Dostoevsky or, um, um, all all happy families are the same every unhappy family is different I've forgotten the book that comes from but uh, you know there's no unhappy families um so everybody's happy and all families dispute within themselves and then let's extend that to the entire society you're off you're barking mad paul this is nonsense so, so that's another barking
0: right but these people believe these theories don't they so this is a bit different from uh from the from the novel uh your, oh, no, it's de- your definition of it's noble. Is- see let's put it another way for well, i think the example the Nobel prize and i know you wrote about this in in your in your post where you're writing about this you're referring to alan sokol the uh, the physics professor who actually did uh submit a paper yeah, yeah knowing it was a hoax paper and yeah. it got peer reviewed and uh or maybe it didn't but it was uh the, but the but the publications just pushed it went, w- went ahead and published it anyway even though it was a hoax uh, and so his i mean his point was there's just not enough checking going on in these um in these journals and i think there were more uh, social sciences, weren't they, we rather than pure science. But of course, economics is a social science, so we uh, very susceptible to this. So uh, isn't that what you're looking at? People who are actually deliberately almost attempting hoaxes rather than just putting together theories that are plain wrong aren't you looking for people who are saying well actually no i'm just trying it on here. i'm just going to create, no no create
1: I, i'm not trying people who get to a particular point and and pull a hoax on themselves as right. well as the rest of society okay uh, just because you think so that they haven't questioned race. doesn't mean you've got a right to, to poison the poison the horse that would win if you didn't feed, feed it uh, if you didn't nobble it with uh, with some drugs before the race and that's what they've done right okay yeah. well there we are this time next year then uh can we hold you to that Yes, I'm going to. i got, got working with the new Real World Economics Review. I suggested the idea to them, and of course, they they have put out previously. They put out the Dynamite Award to Economics, which was went to Alan Greenspan. That was for the three people who, uh, the, 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 three nominators, one at the top. Greenspan was the top. The people who've done the most to blow up the global economy, because the Di- Nobel, the actual Nobel, made his money out of creating dynamite, of course. So the Dynamite Award went to him. They gave the Revere uh, Award in Economics to me. For the people who most cogently warned of the crisis before it happened. Um, so there would be a third prize in the sequence, the Nobel Prize in Economics, for the people uh, whose ideas have done most to uh nobbled the development of economics over time with 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 barking mad assumptions uh, that were taken seriously and then perverted the course of economics over time. Milton Friedman, clearly the first winner. What what I what I'm planning to do is first of all produce a book on the Nobel Prize in Economics, going through all these papers in, in satirical detail, um, but also to have an annual award ceremony where we award, uh, starting in 1969 to say 1970, the first time around to get about twelve, get a, the first dozen winners of the Nobel. Prize Prize, and then and then each year have another one announced for more recent contributions, uh, which uh, where people have either done. You know, recent to important work on nobbling economics, like, for example, Ben Bernanke would be one of my nominees for the recent winners, uh, or a recent paper, a uh, highly outstanding capacity to noble the development of economics away from things <laughs> it doesn't like. Um, so, yeah, so that would be every year. And I'm going to see if we can actually do it in Sweden on the same day as the Nobel Prize uh, at, at a suitably glitzy location. Right. Um, I'll,
0: okay, get my, so, I'll get my dinner, Jackie, ready. Um, yep. And, uh, yeah, and, look, any litigation that follows, nothing to do with me. Is Indeed, all like- that's <laughs> right. It will come down on my head. Absolutely, <laughs> I'm just the host. Uh, all right, Steve. Uh, we'll we'll catch you again very soon. Thank you for that. Welcome. done. Uh, next time, we'll look into the idea uh, put out by the Shadow Chancellor at the Labour Party conference last week, that perhaps we should be offering everybody share ownership. In fact, you know that every worker uh, who's working for a company of a certain size should each year increase their ownership of that company. What would that do? Is that a good idea? Uh, I did actually talk to the Shadow Chancellor last week and said, well, shouldn't companies be doing that anyway, if uh, if it's such a good thing? Uh, we'll get Steve Keen's views on that next time on the Debunking Economics podcast. I'm Phil Thanks for listening. We'll see you then. Hi, I'm Daniel founder of pretty litter cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create pretty litter. It's innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter.